Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. Yana, and welcome back to Indigenuity on 3 Triple R. We're about to jump into today's conversation. We've been very lucky to have a chat with Kirsten Clark. So Kirsten Clark is a Yindinji woman from Queensland and is the Associate Director of Indigenous Strategy at the University of Melbourne. Uh, and Kirsten has been at the University of Melbourne since 2016, working in research administration for the Faculty of Science, and for the last few years had actually been working as the Institute Manager at the Indigenous Knowledges Institute at Melbourne. So now moving into the Associate Director of Indigenous Strategy, um, but uh, is what has been working with what a, a, a really um, powerful research team at the Indigenous Knowledges Institute, and we have had the privilege of speaking to a few of their researchers and their head um, over the our time here over the last couple of years at Indigenuity. Um, so it's nice to talk to Kirsten today, um, and we'll be jumping into the chat right now. Kirsten, welcome to Indigenuity. Oh, hi, thanks for having me. So um, we're here to talk to you about a few things today to do with your work. Uh, I came across you because of this article that had recently been published from the University of Melbourne, which is called um, uh, Indigenous Knowledge Has the Power to Help Address the Climate Crisis. Um, so I'm very excited to have you on. I did want to start off with some sort of basics for our listeners wondering, because you've been at the University of Melbourne since around 2016, um, and for the longest time you've been um, the Institute Manager of the Indigenous Knowledges Institute, but now having moved also into a new role. So um, I guess I would want to start, um, if you could tell us a bit about what those roles have been like for you as the Institute Manager of the IKI, and maybe if you could give an explanation to our listeners of what the IKI is. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so I started at University of Melbourne in 2016. Um, my previous, this is my first academic, um, ro- like academia role. I was in industry and working in HR and training um, for a decade before that. And then um, um, made redundancy. I was looking for an alternative job in a city and something different and then um, found the role at the University of Melbourne and so started working in the science team and looking after um, researchers and the government grants, so helping get money in the system and um, the processes involved in that and then moved into the manager role at the Indigenous Knowledge Institute um, two and a half years ago. So it was in that role for um, up until October, and the Indigenous Knowledge Institute, so IKI, um, is an institute f- from University of Melbourne that encourages and increases um, in research activities in Indigenous knowledges, so um, empowering uh, researchers to link up, help build relationships, um, make projects that communities actually want, um, and then... Um, providing funding for projects um, based on their um, Indigenous knowledge topics that can be environment, health, um, law, uh, all of those sorts of things and across the board. So, um, And from there um, I was offered the Associate Director role for the Indigenous Strategy, so the universities stepped away from the RAP process and created their own first um, Indigenous strategy called Mermic Jerry, and it's a new role 
role and I'm helping look after and um, across the board. So it won't just be research. It's got student projects and place and knowledge and other priorities. So that strategy is valid until 2027. So that's my new role that I've just gone into. Excellent. And I'm, I'm very keen to dive down into some of the um, some of the content that was written in that article that I'd mentioned at the start, but I did want to deviate for a second because in researching you, I had discovered that you are an incredibly talented artist. Um, so I just want to promote your Instagram. I know you want to update things, um, but your Instagram is sketchy from the start and you have some incredible paintings that you've produced. And so I just wanted to ask um, if you could tell us a little bit about your, this art that you do create. Yeah, so um, sketchy from the start, uh, I started that Instagram page um, during lockdown, I think. Um, I used to do a lot of artwork that was sketches and drawings and fine line. Um, when I was at school, I did lots of painting and I just, and then for a while after school, but it kind of just faded off and um, we had a lot more time to get back to it um, in Melbourne being locked down, but also um I'm from Queensland and was in Melbourne and none of my family lived down there, so I couldn't go home and it was a bit stressful. So um, I needed something else to channel some of those feelings and that emotion into. Um, so I started painting again and then that's kind of um, increased and, like, I took three weeks off at Christmas and I painted, like, 40 cards and then three paintings. <laughs> so this year my focus is to focus more on my Instagram and getting pictures up because I've painted heaps since um, the last post. But I paint, um, I like to do stuff that reflects how I'm feeling, so it's a bit of emotion, um, things that are I'm thinking about at that time. So I do a lot of stuff um, that sky, like some sun and um, the sun, it just means a lot to me. Like, and the um, weather and sunshine, like being in Melbourne, the weather's terrible. And I'm still not used to it after seven years and I miss the sunshine. So, um, and the clear skies and the, like, because the lights take away from all the, you know, stars and seeing those things in the sky as well. Um, and then, Rivers and trees and plants. I love florals and um, flowers and, you know, green. Um, lots of cool colours, um, like the beach, that kind of thing. So lots of my paintings have reflections of place and then emotion and things that I care about. And um, I think most of my paintings have all been for somebody that I care about or just thinking about that person and how... Um, what things mean something to them. So all of my artworks have been created so that they love it as much as I like, you know, make creating it for them. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a passion project. Yeah. That is, that is so incredibly special. Like I encourage any of our listeners to search up um, Sketchy from the Star because they are beautiful paintings and to imagine they're just gifts for loved ones at this stage is just incredibly sweet. And um, I totally understand that, uh, drawing so much inspiration, I guess, from all types of country, right? Because, like, I'm very focused on sky country. So my, my background is as an astronomer and I'm very passionate about Indigenous astronomy in particular. Um, so, yeah, the star, uh, the sun is a beautiful star, but then also your beach paintings and everything are just absolutely gorgeous. I guess that idea as well of that focus on country does lead us back into the conversation about the article because really is focusing on the ways that Indigenous knowledges um, can sort of 
pave the way towards a solution or a sustainable solution to the the ongoing fight against climate change. And of course, we always see wonderful things coming out of the University of Melbourne um, and the IKI, the Indigenous Knowledges Institute, um, focusing on this. So we've had some very interesting interviews in the past on indigenuity about this topic. Um, But I was wondering if you could tell us a bit, because I know you've explained you um, you work sort of in, I guess, like the administration and funding side of a lot of these research projects that are happening. Uh, and you discuss quite a few of them in the article. I was wondering if you could give us a bit of insight into some of the initiatives that are coming out of the University of Melbourne for climate change. The main focus, there's three major um, priorities for the university, um, the IKI Institute, and Healthy Country is one of them, which Michael Sean Fletcher looks after and so that's mentioned in the article so healthy country um what is healthy country how do you you interact with the environment um what does it look like what do the plants look like what does the weather look like all of these things are impacted and a lot of people don't think about like if a country is healthy like you can see it and you can feel it um but we look at things very separate um, as one thing that needs to be fixed, like you know, the plants are dying, like let's look at that, but why are the plants dying? Like what has impacted this a few steps prior and looking at it as, as a whole um, situation. And so um, that's one of the major projects that was going for a few years and then working with Indigenous communities across Victoria um, about what that looks like and how we so people can influence that and um, work on that. Um, a lot of the times Indigenous communities are brought in at the end, like not in the, you know, the management part of this. It's problem solving and, um, you know, I personally feel like when people bring in Indigenous communities or persons at the end, they've kind of got a problem that is too big and then when you don't solve it for them, um it's a, it's a problem that, you know, Indigenous people haven't done it or, you know, you, you don't have the experience and things, but all that management leading up to that problem is the issue, not bringing someone in last minute and expecting them to solve it. So um, looking at these things earlier rather than later. Um, we, as an institute, fund graduate research um, candidates. So they have... RTPs, which are research training program scholarships. So people who, um, PhD candidates who are looking after Indigenous knowledge topics, um, they're funded and then we give out bursaries. Um, One of our candidates that got a bursary last year um, is looking at, um, I think it's weather. Yeah, I think we find a lot, probably maybe a third of our applications have an environment um, aspect so yeah there's lots of um health initiatives and education but guaranteed out of all the applications because we do a few rounds during the year there are projects that go for 12 months that look after a seed funding and then um working in communities and then we also had um engagement funding which is a small quick project to work with the community to build up some like to work out what projects they want to look at and out of all of our schemes, over a third are always about environmental activities. I can imagine with um, the, I guess, the climate stresses that we're experiencing and how that, I, I'm trying to think of like the right language to use, but we know that it is has a significant impact on Indigenous communities who are also, um, as you and I have discussed, and it's something we've discussed on Indigenuity, uh, that 
we're also like the um the least contributing to those issues. So the first impacted, but um the the uh the least contributing. And so having that meaningful engagement from the start seems like a really important uh step. And also um that discussion with community first about what are the actual um projects or topics that you are most concerned with leading to more meaningful outcomes. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's changing the way um researchers are thinking about engaging people for their projects. Um, I think the, you know, days of deciding that you're just going to do this are kind of done across the board. So if you wanted to go into someone's home, someone's place, you should be asking them what they want to get out of that interaction beforehand. So um, we're making sure that our researchers and people who are funding and getting um, cash and, um, you know, investment for, to their projects have actually had those conversations and making sure that that community is empowered to you know, take ownership of their area and their home and things that are happening. And they should, they should totally have that um, respect and um, interaction. It feels like common sense, but it's a shame. Um, it's a shame that it's taken so long for us to be even um, acknowledging that as a as an important first step with these sorts of um, research aims, for example. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, um, it's excellent to see, I think, uh, the way IKI and the University of Melbourne, um, I feel, has done a very good job in leading the way that we um, engage with communities while conducting research and how to do that ethically and safely and lead to beneficial outcomes, something that's reciprocal, not just, you know, the continued extractive method of researchers sort of coming to Indigenous people, taking knowledge and leaving no sort of benefit afterwards. Yeah, totally. And so another one of your biggest uh, focuses um, of last year was this international delegation for this um, APRU gathering. So APRU being the Association of Pacific Rim Universities, specifically the Indigenous Knowledges Network. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, what that uh, meeting was and the work that went into you in organising that delegation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so in November, we had an international delegation um, in Melbourne. So we invited, so the Indigenous Knowledge Network has um, universities around the Pacific Rim. So we went to the first gathering in Mexico the year prior and then Melbourne um, offered to host the next meeting. Um, so they all came to Melbourne. So we had people from Mexico, Taiwan, Japan, New Zealand, um, the Philippines, um, Malaysia, to name a few, it's not everybody, but we had 31 people um, join us for a week and then we talked about Indigenous knowledge topics. So we um, work in research, teaching and learning um, and then leadership, so um, all across the board in university aspects, so um, sharing knowledge and working out um, what we can learn and help each other because Indigenous communities... So I think we've got a long way to go in Australia. Um, university engagement, actually, we seem to be a lot ahead of other countries. So um, helping bringing other nations on board as well and then showing support for other First Nations researchers when um, a lot of them we meet are the only person at their uni or things like that and offering you know, some <laughs> some knowledge and some support and shared um, experiences so that um, they don't feel so alone. But when they came to Melbourne, um, we showcased the region. So we went to um, 
the Advancement League, Kenya Lurk, spoke at the uni, and I came in and did a welcome. Um, so the first day um, was in Melbourne and Melbourne, you know, focused. And then we took them up a ship to Shepparton and the Goulburn Valley to show because the University of Melbourne has um, – health and other campuses and, and agriculture like Dookie up there. So um, showing them the context, you know, how Melbourne works in other regions that are, you know, you know, close. So we went to the Dookie campus um, where we talked to Billy who we went to the Dookie campus and we talked about flooding and then because um, they came and then Shepherd and got flooded and had to be evacuated. But he was talking about um, resilient futures and like you know the drought stuff. And then turned up to Australia and all of a sudden, um, <laughs> it's it's not in drought in Shepherd at that time. But then um, going to talk to um, some of our researchers in health and then um, participants as part of um, the Atlantic Fellows Program, which is um, I don't know. If you've heard of that scheme but they are fellows that come along and they do community projects um and that's another scheme at the university so we had they become global leaders and um we were talking to two of the ladies who participated as part of that program and how the um, projects changed and then we had some other academics come up and then talk about um, teaching and learning and then one of the actually one of the highlights um, from Ecuador Dave um, set up a zoom and got all of his students to jump on board and so we had all these young students um, First Nations from there talking to all of us in the room about what they were up to in their projects and things which was it's so nice you forget that unis are here for students and things sometimes that um, when you actually hear them and they can see what you're up to and stuff. It's quite special. Oh, that's excellent. And what do you feel like the impact was with having um, the, I guess, like the international delegation being able to visit um, different sites on country? So Melbourne area and then seemingly Yorta Yorta country up around Shepparton um, and seeing also, I guess, like the fact that you're in the context of floods. Do you feel, um, yeah, what, what impact do you feel like that had on probably the visitors? I think it was great. I think most of them would have had an expectation that we were going to hang around in Melbourne. Um, so we let them know we won't. Like um, we do have a city context and but um, just showing like what impact and opportunities and work we're actually doing outside and um, we asked the communities and people we're working with what they wanted to present and what they wanted to share and um so they could be warts and all, like we don't want them to just tell them what we want, the, their interactions we think are with the university. So like so, some yeah. honest conversations. Um, there were some days where we were quite tired because, you know, the referendum had just happened. So um, there was lots of conversations about that and I think um, the result was not great. So um actually talking to communities and then them coming here. Um, it did create a different vibe, but, um, yeah, I think they got a lot out of the whole entire process. Um, it was really, like, it, yeah, it was very, very good day, um, week. They came back to Melbourne and we ended the week with the NAM oration, which is the annual um, oration on an 
an, an Indigenous knowledge holder. And so it was the first time the university has done that um, with an international speaker in their first language. We had a lady from Taiwan, a guy in who spoke in her first language. So then there was like translations on the screen and um, so all of our delegates came and saw that too. So it was just a really beautiful ending to the week <laughs> and empowered all these, you know, First Nations people in the one space and, um, you know, putting them up on the big screen and you know, just elevating um, them in the academy. It's so nice. <laughs> That's gorgeous and a beautiful way to be ending such a week as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's online yet, but a guy in speech will be loaded onto the uni website and she was just <laughs> so lovely and she started with the song um, and it was just completely different to any other duration I think we've had. So um, if people want to have a look at that, they should look it up. So, And would you suggest like they just either search up like Indigenous Knowledges Institute or like the University of Melbourne to find that oration? Um, that would be under, um, yeah, if they type in NAM oration, but um, yeah, that'll be on the main university location that because that wasn't hosted by the Indigenous Knowledge Institute. That's a all-university um, activity. So Excellent. All right, so narmoration. So searching that up should hopefully bring um, a, a really beautiful display of um, sharing of language and knowledge. So that's incredible. And and then for you, so you've stepped into your, your new role, which you'd mentioned at the start of our conversation. What do you feel is like on the horizon? Like what are you excited to be either be focusing on or to be getting stuck into across 2024 in your new role? Lots, actually. It's going to be a big year, I think. I thought last year was really big, but um, this is so the university stepped away from the rap process and then written their own um, strategy, which is great because it's you know, kind of, outgrown that um, network and it's bigger. So there's five priorities. Um, I'm interested this year to get a lot more across the student space. Um, I did my, you know, all of years focused on researchers and GR. So actually, you know, speaking to younger students and working with um, our associate deans on um, student schemes and things that impact. Like we, there's there's opportunities for people to go into. So you know, creating those and making sure that they're happening and we're doing a good job. Um, I think is my main thing for this year. Well, it sounds like a really good, meaningful focus. And also I'm super, super excited as a reminder to our listeners to see Sketchy from the Start's Instagram as well, being populated with more of your fantastic work. Well, now that I've said it out loud and put it online, I have to yeah, do it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we have to manifest it, you know, we're, we're making this happen. But yeah, just so Kirsten, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the insight into the work that University of Melbourne's doing and what you've been able to provide to us and also just to get to, to meet you. It's been absolutely delight. So I uh, wish you all the best for the rest of your 2024. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at Indigenuity AU.